All right, my name is Aaron Rhodes, and you're listening to the Shuttlecock Podcast, sponsored by the Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven, offering new and used vinyl at 76th and Troost in Kansas City, Missouri. This week on the show, we have Dylan Piles. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Aaron? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Um, so right off the bat, you are you are zooming in from from the back the back room at, at yeah. the record company today. I am. Yep. And you guys have had some exciting stuff going on. Uh, you're are, are you a manager at Mills? I am. Yeah. So I I guess it's kind of like a general manager sort of role, and I, I'm also the record buyer. So all of the like new inventory that comes in um, is. Uh, I'm kind of responsible for all of that and um, managing all of the inventory and stuff. So yeah, we've had, um, there are two like record store day events this summer, um, kind of following on last year's switch up because of COVID. Uh, they, last year they did three record store day events. So kind of taking what's normally the one day and spreading it out over three. This year it's two dates. Um, we had one on June 12th and another July 17th. So kind of like what's normally our biggest day of the whole year is now like spread into a couple days, which means that we're in the middle of like probably the just the busiest, craziest time uh, of the year for the store with shipments and inventory coming in and prepping and all that. So yeah. So how how uh, how was the, the three events last year and then how was the the first event of this year how, how yeah last year um was great like honestly yeah all of the the they're calling them record store day drops so all of them have been really cool so far um the the ones last year it, it was really hard to know like because it, it was right in the thick of the pandemic and um so many things were changing and like we had placed orders for a record store day that was going to be in April before we even knew like kind of the severity and extent of the pandemic. And that got moved to June and then June got moved to August and then it got moved to three days, three months, you know, three consecutive months. And um, so we kind of devised a system to where uh, we would like pick records for folks uh, so that we wouldn't have kind of the door busting scene where hundreds of people are waiting in line and trying to clamor in at the same time. And of course, this was like pre-vaccination and everything last year. Uh, so just kind of devising a system to keep ourselves and, and, and customers and like the community as safe as possible during what is normally a day where we'd see six, 700 customers. Um, so I think that, uh, I was really impressed by just, you know, sort of like folks willingness to, to be patient and like, you know, do that together, kind of like to help take care of each other in that way. And people showed out too, like there was a lot of support for those three record store day events. And same with the first one this year. Um, we, one of the nice things too, is we're able to, uh, to still do like online sales, like after um, the initial wave of, of in-store sales. And so uh, there are still a lot of folks who are, you, you know, who would maybe normally like travel to come to a record store day at our shop who aren't traveling right now, even still um, this summer who are shopping online with us. So still kind of like being able to bring that experience to customers and, and like, have that connection like even with the circumstances 
has been really important for the shop and kind of like for me, like as a person who, you know, is spending all this time like ordering and processing inventory and all of that stuff. It, it's good to see it kind of all come together and be successful. So, mm. no, yeah, and I didn't make it there uh, for the event this month, but I imagine it was a, a little more fun than the three last year. I know you guys had the yeah. Freedom Fair play in the parking lot. Right. Yeah. So last year, obviously, we didn't do any live music, any sort of like there was no kind of like party element to it. Right. Um, and this year we decided to to do live music in the parking lot uh, for the June 12th event. And yeah, it was we had the Freedom Affair, who uh, is like one of my favorite local bands and always just like bring an amazing time. They played Record Store Day in 2019. So like two years ago, um, they they played kind of like the last normal record store day. Um, so we had them back and they, uh, yeah, they were great. A lot of people came out to watch them outside. Um, it's still like a little bit weird to say like, to like invite people into kind of a space together. Um, just because, you know, there are a lot of folks who still for whatever reason aren't, aren't vaccinated and, you know, we're not really um like we're all vaccinated at the shop and we're not necessarily worried about ourselves as much as just still being like cognizant of that in the community and like yeah. being able to care for the community in that way so there's still something weird about like hey come everybody come out you know but but i think that we've always put in like processes and protocols to keep it safe and and it was a good time people were respecting each other's distance and um you know folks there seem to be you know pretty careful still so uh that was good to see yeah and uh is there any any like special events lined up for the july date or is it more yeah. just more records coming in so yeah july we're just gonna do we're not doing uh any live music for the july date um uh one of the reasons is that we are uh going to have folks just like at seven we're just going to open at 7 a.m um and have folks uh, come into the shop then instead of doing the the picking system with the wish list uh so we're kind of making sure that all of our uh staff is like on board for that instead of splitting the staff up into like event crew and live music crew and all of that so uh so there won't be any live music um it's just going to be the records we're going to have giveaways um and like kind of like the the full the full deal, um, basically how, how it was before. There's still an option to do the, the picking uh, element, like uh, you can fill out an order form and we can pick it for you if you're immunocompromised or um, not able to get the vaccine yet, or for whatever reason, feel uncomfortable coming into the shop, that there's still that option. But we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're not planning any like live music or anything, mostly for our own kind of like sanity. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so, so how long have you been working at Mills now and how long have you been a manager? Yeah, so um, overall, this is my sixth year. Um, I started working part-time in 2015 when I was in grad school and honestly was just kind of like part-time. I, I did a couple stints in grad school and would work full-time in the summers and then part-time during the school year. And uh, when I was kind of, I guess, two years ago now, um, three years, almost three years ago, late 2018 is when I decided to come on just full-time, like as a, as like a full-time manager and record buyer. Um, and that was also right around the time that we hatched the plan for the bookstore. 
Um, so that was kind of just making a decision after do it, after being in grad school and kind of like wondering what's next. Um, just stepping into that as like a full-time thing, uh, I guess about three years ago now. So I've been doing all the record buying and managing since then. No, oh, yeah. Tell me a little more about how uh, Wiseblood, the, the bookstore, got its start and how that's uh, kind of evolved over the last few years. Yeah, so we, um, like, like I mentioned, it was probably late 2018 that we uh, sort of came up with the, um, the idea for the, the bookstore. Um, I was basically at a point where I was like coming out of grad school, wondering what was next. And Judy and I, uh, Judy Mills, who owns Mills Record Company, were having conversations about the possibility of uh, opening some other space and didn't know what that looked like at all. But we both like uh, have always shared a passion for books. I was coming out of like a literature degree and just like kind of always been a book nerd, maybe even more than like a record guy, um, was like a, a literature guy. So we basically decided like it made perfect sense to open a bookstore. And we spent the majority of 2019 like prepping for that, planning for that, bringing in inventory. We had a small book selection at the record store that we had, that I'd sort of been curating, but we'd not been like really throwing too many resources toward. It was just it was kind of there as its own small thing. Um, so basically spent 2019 prepping, getting the inventory together, getting the space uh, secured and then getting the space prepped. And then we opened in December of, of 2019. Uh, uh, on Westport Road, just like a couple blocks from the record store, like less, actually less than a block. And uh, we we opened that space um, and like less than, you know, three months, obviously later, the like entire world shut down and went into disarray. And we were, you know, the, the bookstore itself was like in its infancy in that stage, we had not really established like a full-time staff there yet because we were kind of just feeling it out you know basically we had made it through the holidays and, th and that was it like that was the only like the only sort of uh, uh frame of reference that we had for how the business was going to go um so when we shut down for the pandemic it was sort of like okay we're going to like work really hard like keep this thing breathing and um kind of just like see what happens and the uh we, you know we had like really great response like folks were really supportive especially you know most people knew that we had just opened and then had this like uh huge situation like global situation that was kind of like affecting our ability to to do what we had planned to do with the store and uh kind of throughout the summer and throughout the year we we were sort of working really hard to keep it staffed and keep keep the doors open, keep the lights on, be there for the community. And um, ultimately decided that to really like invest in the space and actually like be present with it, um, which was something that we were having a hard time doing because we were stretched between two places with limited staff all year and um, like just general like COVID anxieties, you know. Uh, to really like invest in the in the in the bookstore space, we brought it like to to Mills under the same roof. So it's all in the Mills space now. So it's Mills Record Company slash Wise Blood Books, and uh, we we were able to bring the entire inventory over, all the shelves, everything. So it's it's basically the same store, just um, all under one roof, which is like honestly like a huge relief for all of us um, to not 
literally be jogging back and forth <laughs> uh, to the two spaces, trying to keep it staffed and keep everything uh, rolling. So, so yeah, that's kind of the story of the bookstore. Was it a, a challenge getting all the, the inventory arranged in there? And uh, So, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, in some ways, like, I feel like I'm still waiting for the shooter drop because we had a plan, like we mapped everything out and measured everything. And I was pretty confident that we were going to be able to get it in there. And like, we had a good system. And then that move was actually just really, really simple, really easy um, for the most part. Like it, it's like, it was easier than any time I've like moved my house or anything, you know, like, it's like, it was uh, almost like eerily simple and we got it all up and feel like really good about the layout. It was a little bit like we had to do some puzzle piecing to make sure to keep like all of the genres as prominent as they were in the layout of the other space. But um, for the most part, like I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Oh, awesome. And uh, are there any, I, I know you guys have had um, like readings and events at the, the bookstore and I, I know you're probably not fully back to doing that type of thing yet and but I know you guys had some digital stuff at some point but is, is there any kind of big news or anything else coming up with uh, Wise Blood that you want to talk about? Uh, so uh, on the event side there's not really right now I um, yeah we did we were and, and are still open to having virtual um, events and, and we did quite a few of those throughout the past year and those are always like a lot of fun um, but like nothing really compared to getting people like in space together yeah. I think once we get through the the next record store day event like we were talking about earlier that's going to open up like a lot more first of all just like capacity to actually like carry out stuff like that but then uh, I do imagine um, readings being the first thing to come back like in in store readings so i think that there there are a few things that i'm like working on for like late summer in the fall that haven't been finalized yet so it's kind of just like a keep an eye out sort of thing uh at this point nothing like on the books but we are ready to come back with in-person like readings um relatively soon so nice that'll be fun yeah um i, I guess we'll backtrack a little bit to where i usually begin the podcast. Um, I guess I just wanted you to tell me a little bit how you first got into music, like, I just guess as a kid or as a teenager or whatever, like what were like the first like important bands to you and how were you like finding out about musicians you cared about? Yeah, I love those kinds of questions. My, um, both of my parents are like big music people. My dad's a musician um, and grew up in like a musician family uh, playing country music mainly. And my mom's just like a big fan. Uh, it, there was always music around the house. That was like a really um, prominent thing. Like some of my earliest memories are just like listening to my dad, like play along uh, to like uh, music in the house or watching music videos um, like mid nineties music videos with my parents, like Alanis Morissette, <laughs> like type stuff. Right. Um, and so those are like really early musical memories and, uh, but music has always been just like, like kind of like, it sort of like permeates my household and like always has and all kinds too. Like my dad grew up playing and still does play like classic country music, but is also like a, a pretty big heavy metal um enthusiast and so and same with my mom so like we always had everything from like Patsy Cline to um 
morbid angel you know like just like a, a, a huge gamut of stuff like in the house and um so i think like the earliest stuff that was like like always around um like artist wise i like there was like a lot of um like both my parents were huge like ramones fans and so we had like the ramones mania uh, cd that was like always in the car when i was a kid um and that's that stuff feels just like pretty like like innate to me um and then also just like let you know led zeppelin like early zeppelin black sabbath stuff that was like sacred in my in my parents view yeah. um but like uh probably actually like the the biggest thing from like being a kid like a kid kid was was actually kiss so like my my dad was like a huge kiss fan growing up and like it just made sense like for me to be like a little kid and then to give me all of my dad's old kiss cassette tape so i had like the whole collection and action figures and um you know they'd paint my face up and film me like singing along to to kiss lyrics in the kitchen you know like um and yeah so just like i was like a a straight up like mid-70s second grade kiss fanatic but it was 1996 kind of thing, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, I, yeah, so like that, that stuff was like huge for me, like really, really young. Um, when I started getting like old enough to kind of like choose my own stuff and to like venture out and, and get more um, like personal with my music selections, I was, was like, uh, you know, immediately like interested in like anything like antagonistic and abrasive and um dangerous i guess like st you know stuff that i thought was and, and i think that some of that like goes back to kiss and the ramones and so you know that those early th those early influences like kind of like cross over into that like i just wanted stuff that was that was for whatever reason like dangerous um and so like i thank the uh kansas uh, the mid-continent public library um in north north kansas city where i grew up for uh kind of being able to supply me with all of my like early musical choices i would basically um just learn about music on you know through magazines or uh through like conversations with my parents um i was like like by the time i was like 10 or 11 i was like on message boards, like talking about music with people around the country. And I would take like a list and go to the library and just like find CDs, take them home, illegally rip them to the computer and take them back. And so for me, a lot of that early stuff was like, was punk. Like I, um, it, I remember like, it was like the damned gang of four uh, wire was actually really early for me, like stuff that I was just like, this is the stuff that like, they don't want you to know about, you know, <laughs> and that, and that was always like what I was looking for, right? Like, what's the stuff that, that they don't want you to know about? Um, and and uh, the, the illegal library CD rip is an important move. I think, I think that's maybe more common than, uh, people may realize at least during like a certain era, maybe the nineties, the early two thousands. For sure, yeah. And also, no. the message board. The message board is also important for any young and curious music fan. Yeah, and that's why I think that there's like a whole um, 
uh, kind of like generation of us who like grew up experiencing and finding out about music that way right um what which what, is do like you, do you remember specifically like which message boards you were on so uh, and this was like a, another part that i was gonna um bring up is uh i was uh like my parents like a, it was sort of like a defining moment in my family's story where they started going to church um mm -hmm. when i was a kid and so uh, it was kind of like suddenly like a lot of christian music and uh my since my parents were actually interested in music they were like really intentional about finding christian music that they liked and that they actually wanted to listen to um so we started like subscribing to all of these Christian music magazines and all of this kind of thing. So I actually, the message boards that I was a part of were because it was what I was like allowed to be a part of were Christian music message boards. Right. Um, and so there's like a, for example, this magazine called HM magazine um, that was a Christian music magazine where like I would go to the message boards and like, there would always be like the main, like, topics and discussions about Christian artists, but then there was like a little pocket that was where you could talk about like secular artists, right? And so like, I was like, there were a lot of Christian artists that I like. there's a lot, and there's a lot of that music that was like super formative for me and like really important to the way that I ended up seeing music and some of the most artful, like incredible music um, that I like still go back to. But more importantly was that little pocket like at the bottom where you could talk about secular music and people would be talking about like so i actually remember for example from this message board is where i found out about like it is where i first encountered the uh the the screamo conversation right and it's like you you know this was maybe around the time that like um it was even a little bit before under oath but it was like around the time that like those bands were starting to get big so you're, you're a you're a chariot guy yeah so i actually i i love the chariot yeah, yeah i grew up like um like a absolutely like loving that and and that's like that sort of thing like there was a lot of there were a lot of christian bands who were playing this like really like mathy belligerent sort of hardcore but so were you, go were you going to a uh, cornerstone yeah yeah i was right okay. yeah yeah yeah, so I went to actually my first cornerstone was I was 16 and then I went back when it's probably like the next three or four years and playing with bands after that. But the first one that I went to felt like the last of the like golden age of cornerstone. Like I saw me without you at midnight and like it was like one of the coolest shows I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and like after that, me without you like stopped playing cornerstone and like that you know it was just kind of like a it seemed to change after that but i uh yeah so like all of that like that like all of those bands and stuff like i actually like have like a huge indebtedness to like uh that whole scene and and all of those bands that were like pushing in different ways you know really i actually think like really respectfully um so what are, what are your other uh, christian music favorites yeah. Um, so I, I mean, Me Without You is like a really great band. And, and I do think that um, they're one of the better bands like of of the past 20 years. And they uh, are, have this like amazing range of styles and they pull everything off really beautifully. Um, but uh, Starflyer 59 was a band that I encountered through that scene that I grew up listening to and did not realize until I got a bit older that 
and I was able to, and I started listening to other shoegaze music and I was able to put them in the context of shoegaze and realize that they're actually like the best shoegaze band. Um, but, but that's like not something that I was, I wasn't thinking along those lines when I was a kid. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, Starflyer 59 is like in the Christian scene and like, just like best guitar riffs, but you know, best production, like amazing, amazing band. Um, Danielson family um, uh, is like another uh, band and Danielson is uh, like kind of like this outsider folk thing um, that he got into a lot of trouble. Well, not a lot of trouble, but he was antagonistic towards mainstream evangelical Christianity in a lot of ways that like a lot of people were like, he's taken it too far. Um, and he like, maybe this is like where we draw the line for quote unquote Christian music, right? And so of course, for me, I was like, that's actually the guy that I'm interested in, right? Um, and uh, so yeah, Danielson, I, I, I love uh, his stuff. And um, yeah, The Chariot was big, Norma Jean, the first Norma Jean record, um, heavy stuff like that uh david bazan and pedro the lion um was you know he's sort of like separated from that scene but early on it's like basically all this stuff that was quote unquote like allowed for me right like especially um in at a time where like and my parents aren't really like this anymore but at a time where they were like basically had like converted to christianity and were sort of like what do we let them listen to? What's, yeah. what's allowed? What's, what's cool. Um, do, you, but, do you know what really led to your parents like kind of jumping into it like late, late in life kind of like, kind uh, of? yeah. I mean, I think that for them, it, it was a lot of just like being a little bit of like dead end with like what they were up to in different ways. I mean, that's sort of an oversimplification for it, but mm. I think that they, you know, were like, living kind of like a hard life and um like put in positions where they were having kids and like not really happy with each other or themselves or what they were up to and and what you know how things were going and so like a lot of people do right like um looked for something bigger and um and both had like come from like religious families so it wasn't like a total like left turn but it was for me, like, I remember is like a very defining moment of like, oh, we go to church now. Like, you know, like, this is what we do, which is like, I think gives me personally just an interesting perspective, because I didn't grow up just like where church was always a thing, right? Yeah. And it was always religious. And um, like, I remember specifically like that turn, uh, and all of the like cultural things that came after that. So, yeah. And you said you were you're going to Cornerstone as a teenager. And, it, and that was that was in Iowa, right? Yeah, it was in Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. Uh, okay. I think Bushnell. So were, were, you, were you just like hitching a ride with some friends or like your, did your parents drive you up there or how, how'd that go? We actually, yeah, we would camp like uh, the first year I went, uh, I went with my parents and mm. we camped like as a family and did it as like a family thing. And then the next year I was in a band that played um just like a the like you go to cornerstone and it's like um they're the main stages and then like you know up and down like the main like drags uh are just all of these little stages set up with generators where like smaller bands go and basically just like ask to be put on a slot and then you play at like 1 30 in the afternoon to like six people and then you try to like meet 
people who could, you know, who might like your band or like, you know, who could help you book a show in Georgia or something, you know? <laughs> and, and so I started doing that the next year with bands that I was playing in and, um, yeah, ended up, I think I went like three or four years in a row. How, how did, how did your parents enjoy Cornerstone? They loved it. Yeah. So they were actually, they probably loved it more than I did. Like I'm pretty, like I, I have a very clear cap with like people and like interacting with people. And so Cornerstone for me, like, honestly, like I look back, especially the times that I went and played with other bands where I'm just like, get me out of here. You know, like I can't, like, I can't be around people anymore. And that's why I just like have no interest in like the festival scene, like kind of as a whole, but, um, but my parents loved it. And my dad's like, so my dad actually came to like, he was always a metal head, but he came to extreme metal, like different, like more like extreme genres, like through Christian bands. And so like, he, he wasn't really into black metal until he became a Christian, but then there's like this like little scene of like black metal bands that are also Christians and, or, you know, there's a whole discussion there, but, um, but he, uh, so there was his chance to see all of these bands that were like from Europe that he would never get a chance to see who all would like come to the States to play Cornerstone. And so he'd have like his little list of like bands to see and stuff. And um, what were, what were your, you said some of your first bands were playing uh, at Cornerstone those, those few years. What, what were those bands like? Yeah. Um, so I was in a band called Senators that mm -hmm. was like a punk band. Um, and we played, I guess actually that band just played one year and um, we were, it was sort of like before we did our first like tours and stuff. So we kind of just went and like, we met some cool people. It was fun. And uh, like met a few bands and friend and people who became like really close friends and bands that we would tour with like later on. We were only around a couple of years, but um, so there was that band. And then I played in this just kind of like, uh, I guess like post hardcore, kind of metalcore thing called a sequence of ghosts for a couple of years um that we played like actually a couple of the like like we actually played like real stages <laughs> um i guess and not just those generator things so i am somewhat sure that i saw a sequence of ghosts at some point yeah it, i i think you got i think it would have been opening a show at the beaumont club um did you guys open for like aiden or... we did yeah that's yeah? great because okay. that's Sick. one of the so that was in like i was only in that band for maybe like eight months and then uh, they actually did like two or three years after i i left but that is one of the shows that i played and i remember Sick. that show really well the reason i'll always remember that show is because we played and i immediately got in my car and drove to lawrence to see lightning bolt at the jackpot oh man because I, that was the same night no, yeah, and also the same night, I was torn between going to see Aiden, and then I think it was Rise Against Bad Religion was at oh, the yeah. Midland, and a bunch of my friends went to that instead. And That's amazing. I, I've, yeah. I've since seen Bad Religion, but then Aiden broke up because apparently that guy started a weird sex cult thing and people were freaked out about it. I had it. heard about that. Yeah. And I, I didn't even like, I, I never, I didn't meet any of them. Yeah, like yeah. it was cool to play with them. Cause like, I would remember, like I just remembered them from like fuse TV and stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And like, I, I had liked a few of their songs, but then there was also this band, Dr. Acula who played yeah, that yeah. night who were like this, like, 
Yeah, yeah, just like super goofy, like horror themed, like yeah. kind of mathy breakdown band. Um, they had one song that was kind of at least a banger. I remember. Like, yeah, no, I think that they were one of those bands who just did like dissonant chord, mathy, and then yeah. like huge breakdown. Yeah. to like and you know there was, uh, there was a band called vampires everywhere i think that also played that show wasn't yeah. super into that um <laughs> yeah weird time uh, for sure yeah we played that we opened that i guess they put us on because they thought we were scarier because our name was ghosts yeah. our name had ghosts in it so we sounded scary like all the other bands so what wait wait what, so was was the sequence of ghosts a, a christian band who they were yeah. yeah i think um it was um it is funny because aiden what did kind of do like a sat- satanic type like, aesthetic yeah thing. yeah <laughs> for sure yeah i think that um yeah we were just like at that that was a point where we had just started the band and we were just playing every show that we could i think yeah. um but yeah they, it was yeah. like all christian guys it's supposed to be like a christian band yeah and okay a mutual friend of ours told me to ask you about um, a time when senators played at Yahweh Underground and <laughs> some something funny may have happened there. Oh, yeah, man, that's great. I um, Yeah, so senators was like known, like we were just like really rowdy on stage and just like had a good time. And um, we, yeah, for those who don't know, uh, hopefully a lot of people listening do know Yahweh Underground was like, um, this sort of weird church venue um, in South KC that had really, like, honestly, like, good intentions about just letting kids do their thing. Like, yeah. and that's, like, it, it was a cool place to play because for the most part, it was just, you know, high school bands and, like, your friends would come and, you you know, you just kind of, like, do the thing. Um, but we, we, senators specifically, like, tested the limits of that like in in the way that we did our live show which was just kind of like like often like really rowdy sometimes like playfully violent um (laughs) but we uh our vocalist hubbard was like he would climb on stuff and so i think he he like grabbed he was like climbing on these like rafters that they had right above the stage and uh it was a honestly a great show we had like turned out like a lot of people to it like it, it felt like a really like high energy thing and so he's just Hubbard just like sort of takes off over the rafters and then big dude that um was like working the place that night I can't remember his name but he's just kind of like bigger guy that was always there like kind of kind of you know a little bit tough looking maybe like comes up like in the middle of our set and like pulls Hubbard down and uh like um basically like waves the band to like stop the show and like waves us off. So we like stop, but we're also like 17 and like punk kids and like, we're going to be like, like we're going to respond and, and that, you know, based on those things. And so like he responds and he's like, you gotta stop climbing on the stuff. You're going to break stuff. And um, he was worried about like the water lines and the electricity, the, the power, the electricity that was running through pipes and stuff, which I guess uh, is super valid looking back mm-hmm. as now like a 29 year old adult. Um, but at the time we were just like, like, I think that Hubbard started kind of like poking back at him. And then um, I started playing a little bit and I basically just like cued the rest of the band to jump back in and start playing. And he's like yelling over the band, like, stop playing, stop playing. And, 
and then he like takes the mic from Hubbard, like Hubbard tries to take the mic. And then like my friend Micah is really funny. Like my friend Micah grabs the other mic, like from the side of the stage and he comes on and starts doing vocals. And then like the dude like grabs the mic from him. But by the time he's grabbed the mic from him, somebody else had picked up another mic. And so like, it was sort of just this like communal, like attack on authority. Like we just kept playing and we basically like finished like two more songs with this guy like going around like grabbing mics from people trying to turn off amplifiers and like somebody would come back and like <laughs> like turn it back on and um so this guy yeah this guy's like roaming around trying to shut down our set but we've got like a room full of punk kids who are trying to keep it rolling so that was fun it was cool that, that was a great great show oh yeah that sounds great i would have would have loved to have been there yeah um and I, I know it hadn't been it hasn't been a venue in many years, but like I'm pretty sure I like drove by that spot and like is that church even there anymore? Like yeah, I, I, it's weird. It, it feels almost like a ghost in my imagination at this point because like yeah, I think that I thought the same thing. I was driving with a friend recently in that area and was like it was somebody who's not super familiar with it uh, with the that whole time and place and so i was like oh yeah right around here somewhere yeah was the was yahweh and um i couldn't place it so i don't know i i think that yeah the church because yeah, uh, it was kind of up on that hill and right. i i know this because I, I went to one or two like friends bands shows there yeah. like during high school but also it it was directly across the street from the temple where i went to preschool and gotcha which which has since all become an office park and right moved that temple somewhere else but so yeah that whole kind of everything a just lot of a lot different. of culture in that like intersection is now just like invisible and it's very yeah it is kind of strange right yeah that is uh, well, actually, you know, my dad, so my, I, I, one of my earliest, just as a quick aside, one of my earliest memories of like going to shows at all was my dad played bass in this church band, like 97 or 98 or so that played Yahweh house like two or three times. And, um, and so like some of like my earliest, like live music experiences all together were actually at that place. So, um, yeah. No, oh, yeah. I was, I was going to ask, uh, I meant to ask if, yeah, like did, did uh, your dad or any other members of your family like play out with bands or like do do a lot of shows? Like you mentioned, just seeing him play at the at your house a lot. But yeah, so yeah, my dad was always playing live music, and specifically, uh, like a little bit later, by the time I was like thirteen or fourteen, it started playing just kind of like in, in bar bands, like kind of for some extra money, and also just to be just to play, right? Yeah. Um, so he'd play uh in like classic country cover bands or like classic rock cover bands and then i get to go like sit in and jam for a little bit and like learn some things and then when i was in undergrad i uh joined one of his bands like kind of like for about a year and that was like how i made like extra money in college was just going and playing like biker bars and independence and raytown and um and uh you know playing leonard skinnard and like tearing down the house you know um so yeah my, my dad's always played live and like some of my earliest like live music uh like both playing and just like spectating were like watching my dad's bands so um so maybe at some point um we'll get you to do a kiss cover set we'll, you'll you'll paint your face again and 
you'll you'll I, get to renew that that whole thing from your childhood. I actually that's kind of like this whole thing's just working toward that. Like yeah. that's that's my north star. Um, and I I also did uh, when I went to college at Truman State. I had a I would go to uh, poetry uh, slams like like the like the you know where you, you, people like throw down their poetry and then there are judges and stuff. And basically, what I my my shtick was just painting my face in like a really poor. Um, version of Gene Simmons and then uh, singing Kiss lyrics acapella and I actually made it to the finals um, <laughs> once doing this and uh, there was a lot of controversy and questions about you know authorship and yeah. um, plagiarism uh, but yeah that's that's performance art that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah so maybe we'll bring that back in some way <laughs> Uh, yeah, were were there any other? Okay, so a few a few years back, you joined Canyons. Yeah. Um, I, were, were there any other bands we missed between Senators and Canyons? Uh, not not of note. No, I <laughs> there's one band called Bad Kids that I played in with my friends Parker and Amanda. That was probably the best band that I ever played in. But we only played one show, and then uh, that was it. Um, mm -hmm. But no one no one will ever know about that probably but yeah i i basically went to college for like six years and uh, seven years and then decided to like like actually be intentional about making music again and that's when i like joined canyons and, and started doing stuff again so oh yeah how did you uh meet like did you just know bobby and punch just through kind of going to shows yeah. over the years and right yeah so i remember i met them senators drove to to Marshall to play, um, and uh, we kind of just hit it off, like talking about like music, and um, I specifically just like have always like like Punch and I think about like writing riffs and stuff, kind of in the same way, in this weird like this backwards kind of like way that's like part Led Zeppelin, part like outer space i don't know you know like i can't like really even but i basically knew like from the time that i saw like him play that like i wanted to like jam with him at some point and so we had always talked about it and like always kind of it had never really linked up for whatever reason um so then when i kind of like settled for lack of a better term in kc and like wanted to like get back into to playing with folks um it made a lot and they needed a bass player it made a lot of sense to like start jamming together so um yeah but known those guys for a decade now so oh yeah so i was i guess, I guess you can't i don't know if you can speak much to like I, I guess uh bobby or punch would be better to ask about this but like they, they those two have been kind of the constants in that band and they've kind of had revolving door yeah uh, for the the other two slots so like do you like i don't know how do you feel like c can you kind of gauge like how the band has changed like in its sound or it's like dynamics since uh, you and Trevor yeah. joined? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, um, yeah, they would probably be able to speak to it a lot better. I, so yeah, Canyons has basically always been the two of them and then a bunch of people that I like know from other bands and that I, you know, have like played in bands with myself and people that I've like known throughout the years. But um, I think that the, one of the reasons it was really easy for me to just kind of like jump in and be like, yeah, I'll play bass is cause like, the songs are written, like things are ready to go. And I just can like, just jam, you know? And that's sort of what I was looking for at the time is like, like not a super heavy load. But then once Punch and I started like, 
like plan and kind of like working through things together. We started writing to get like actually writing together. And then like I wrote a few uh, songs that are like on our last couple releases that uh, like bring like kind of a little bit of a different feel to it. So I think maybe the main thing that's changed um, is that there's like a little bit more just like openness to either like me bringing a song like ready to go that's done and we just learn it and do it or like collaborating in the writing process um i think for a long time just with the way members come in and out and the way like often with a band like that you're trying to just like go on tour just like get some guys and go on tour <laughs> a lot of the focus is like just get people and have them learn the songs and then go do it um the, this version of Canyons has been taking things like very, like just artistically like slower and just like spending time, like, like really working through parts and um, collaborating and stuff. So I think that, and you can also hear like on the last release that uh, the Stay Buried release that we did, um, like there are a couple songs that are just like my brain, you know, and like I basically brought them to the group and and then we learned it together. And then there are a bunch of songs that are just punches, you know, and he brought them and then we learned it together. So you hear like a little bit of a um, diversity in the sound there that maybe wasn't there before, I guess. I don't know. Wait, which are the Dylan songs? Um, so on that release, uh, it's Stay Buried, uh, which was like a song that we that I wrote on bass, uh, Endless Friction and Vulnerable Gains mm. are the three um, from that release that I wrote. Um, and then there are a couple songs that we sort of wrote like through jamming more. And then there are a couple that were just like punch wrote it all and then brought it to the group. So uh, I think just having that collaboration is like kind of the thing that sh that that's the main focus of this version of the band. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you guys put out that really stay buried that came out last year. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, kind of obviously bands have kind of just been kind of buckling down and writing and recording and stuff over the last year. But uh, yeah, do, do you, do you have plans to tour hopefully at, at some point or kind of just hope yeah. to play some local shows coming up? For sure. Yeah. I think that um, we were actually just talking about this the other day with like playing shows, like, like Canyons is a band that like we play shows when our friends bands tour and come to KC and then we play with them. And, and, you know, and so with to that end, it kind of feels like just waiting for bands to start touring. I don't know if, like we don't have like immediate plans to do like a longer thing, but we've like got a couple of things in the works to, you know, go play a couple of shows like down to Texas and back kind of thing. Um, and uh, so that's, that kind of thing is totally on the table as far as playing local shows. Like, I think we're like, we're feeling like personally ready, you know, obviously like everybody's stoked to like go play and, and we've, we've been practicing, we feel good about like our set and stuff. So I think it's just kind of like a matter of time. The main focus has been writing. Um, there's like plans, like pretty close to like, uh, being able to go in and record like a whole batch of new songs, um, that hopefully will be just like an LP, um, of course that that's all just sort of like in the in the works right now there's no like definitive plan for that but the songs are there and we're working on it and that's the we're kind of just having fun doing that you know yeah so um before we get to you have your new solo lp out called train called solitude yeah uh, i think we'll backtrack briefly again i so how long have you been writing uh solo material yeah, so that's something that I've been doing since I was 
I guess maybe about 10 years now. Um, I started doing it when senators stopped playing shows. And basically it was like when I was in high school, it was like every, all of the energy was going into that band, yeah. which was like a ton of fun. Um, but I started listening to like different types of music and stuff and, and just feeling, you know, like more interested in just writing songs to sing, like kind of for the hell of it, like just yeah. to get my own, like, and so that was like, like 18 or 19, I started writing my own stuff, actually recorded, wrote and recorded a couple albums um, just at home played some shows and then just kind of like buried that project for like eight years or something like that while I did college and like, you know, I play in bands here and there, but never really like seriously try to produce anything. I was always recording and like working on songs and like making demos and then just kind of like put them, especially when I was like learning how to use like four track recording and stuff, literally just be like, just like record like, 15 songs and then like never show them to anybody kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, and then just kind of all of a sudden decided like it was important to me and I needed to make a priority out of actually investing in it. Uh, but yeah, about a decade. Oh, we're, oh yeah. And so, yeah, the stuff, the stuff on your band camp dates back about like five ish years now. Right. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I may, maybe I'm, wrong about this but like it seems like a, a lot of your solo releases up until this point have all kind of had like a somewhat strict concept to them or like at least at least the title makes it seem that way because you have popular songs for the horror and then you have evil music for uh, uh sorry man i did not write the whole name uh in evil music for an ugly world yeah an ugly world so yeah um, I don't know, is, is, am I, am I right about that at all? That like you, you will kind of like have a structure or a, like a strict concept in mind when you're, when you're writing your solo music? Yeah, for sure. And that's something that's always been interesting to me and I've always admired like other people doing and it. It's not like I'm like setting out to do like a concept album, but I think that for me, it's like, uh, basically coming up with like a set of songs and then looking at the interconnectedness of them and then being able to like play around with what that means to like how the songs speak to each other and what that means to like the place that I'm at in life. For me, it's like a very, it's like that, the solo project is like a personal record, right? It's basically okay. like, like keeping track of my like personal world. And then, um, the the title and the concept ultimately just reflects like where I was at like in that time period or whatever um so yeah I, I do think that I I approach it that way but not in a way where I like sit down and I like the title is never first you know it's not like I'm sitting down and saying okay evil music like what does that mean you know uh it's more just write the songs and then start thinking about what it really all means in connection to each other so yeah, but you have okay. So you have the new album, A Train Called Solitude, out on Manor Records. Got the cassette tapes. Yeah, is is it on CD or vinyl? Are you guys doing anything uh, that? Not not yet. No. Um. Yeah. No CD or vinyl. It's just a cassette and digital at the moment. Or, but um. Yeah. Well, the the title. Maybe I'm wrong. The title seems a little bit less conceptual or strict did you did you kind of approach writing this album in a different way than you have on some of your past stuff 
Yeah, um, I actually, I don't think that I approached the writing much differently. The main thing that I approached differently was like after they were all done, after all the songs were done and I like felt good about what the album was going to be, I decided to basically just like amplify the 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 main single like the train called solitude tune which i was really proud of and happy with and i felt like kind of stood as a uh, actually in a lot of ways still a, a conceptual um guide for like kind of where i was coming from with all of the songs on the album mm-hmm. um so yeah as like a, a little bit of an aside but connected to that like the that song for me is mostly about exploring like what it means to like kind of like really like both like like long for need and be terrified of being alone right and like being on your own and what it actually means to be alone for me it's something that i crave like i i crave being alone and solitude but i also am really scared of it on a macro scale like we all are (laughs) right um so it's exploring that like especially like in the early days of the pandemic, I could not get enough alone time, right? I was just like, I I wanted, the way that I wanted to deal with that was to just be in solitude and just be alone. But that also was connected to and coupled with having all of my relationships, like we all had all of our relationships cut off, right? Um, So conceptually that actually, that feeling and that idea for me does guide all of the songs on that album, but it's not, it's not set set out like explicitly right mm. uh, so oh yeah and um it's funny you kind of mentioned um when you're talking about writing for canyons that you both you and punch have like a kind of unconventional unorthodox style of writing for guitar or bass or whatever so and i i, I did i have kind of noticed that like listening to your past solo albums like you aren't really afraid to like like just do like a a solo guitar track or like kind of just write like strange kind of guitar parts for otherwise Mm. kind of straightforward like folk or rock songs so i don't know did but listening to this new album it seems like you're it's like maybe the closest thing to like a, a more traditional solo album you have but still holds some of that experimental uh yeah guitar work like would you would you say that's kind of accurate for sure yeah i um yeah that's like really thanks for like kind of assessing it in that way because that's kind of how i feel about it too and um the uh a lot of that comes from like last year i really was just like really interested in like jam bands and like like for me, it was that I grew up like never really understanding jam bands. And I was like, why do we care about jam bands? Like, what is the deal? And then I started like actually really thinking about the Grateful Dead and like, trying to like experience the Grateful Dead and like on a little bit of lesser scale, but almost as much like the Neil Young and Crazy Horse live stuff. And, um, and thinking about basically that coupled with the like experimental guitar that I've always worshiped and always like really wanted to emulate like of Lauren Connors or um, Thurston Moore, like the kind of like weirder stuff that he does. Um, And uh, so basically thinking like, how do I like bring those elements together um, 
in one space in one like sonic space and that was kind of like the the approach for recording the guitar for this specific album i think normally i want to like challenge myself like it's not it's not even about challenging other people or antagonizing other people as much as it is just like whatever it is that ultimately ends up on the record i want it to be challenging and interesting to me when i go back to listen to it i think that like like it's funny i think it's actually like mad lib who i heard one time talking about they're like how do you make all this music like why do you why do you make all this music because you know he's like just insane prolific and he's like well i just want stuff to listen to that's interesting to me and he's like i make it so that i can listen to it like when i'm going to bed at night and like i i think that there's actually something really true about that like for me it's like part of what i want to do is make the music that i want to listen to that no one else is making like that's like and that's you know like for me and and the guitar stuff that's what it comes down to is like like i want to i want to do things that are going to be interesting um to me and that's kind of like my ultimate priority so (laughs) that's funny i think on on a similar uh note um i i think in i don't know if you've ever watched any of donald glover's stand-up but i'm pretty sure i remember in one of his specials he has like a short bit about like He's, he's on a date with some girl and he like puts on uh, like one of his rap songs and she's like, you listen to your own music? And he's like, why, why the fuck shouldn't I listen to my own music? I fucking worked hard on this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I made it right. Like, well, and that's it. Yeah. It's like, it's about like making the thing that like the ultimate artistic drive is one that is sort of egotistical, but not in like a bad way. It's just in the sense that like the reason to make anything is because you think it should exist and it doesn't yet. Right. And so like, like I'm, I, I'm always interested in making the next thing because I'm always seeing things like missing, you know, <laughs> like uh, there's always like, no matter what other people do, I'm always seeing like, like, little pockets that I feel like I, I want to speak into existence that no one else is doing yet. And like, that doesn't mean that it's even any good or that anybody's going to care, but that's what, that's what drives me to be interested in it. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and anytime I think about that stuff, it's like, sure. Like, yeah, it's easy to overindulge in ego, but I think sure. it's fine and maybe even healthy to engage in a small bit of egotism just because like why shouldn't i care about the things i make and and the things i do because i'm the i'm the only me you know like yeah that's that's my approach to it but um oh also okay maybe maybe i think this because the title track has kind of uh, a lot of country influence but mm-hmm. would you say that this album has more country influence than any of your past solo stuff? Yeah, I think like on an ex- on an explicit level, like uh, a, a conscious level, I guess, like mm-hmm. it does. Um, I, I think that like my ways of thinking about songwriting are so influenced by growing up listening to country music and like being perpetually interested in, in country, the way that country music like creates its own mythology and, and all of that. That, uh, like anytime I like sit down and start writing a song, it's influenced by country in some way. But I think that as far as like thinking about the actual sounds that end up on the record, yeah, it's probably the most. Um, there's a lot of like steel guitar. I was like trying to get better at steel guitar and um, like even the songs that don't have like a twang or a swing, um, there's steel guitar. And uh, and so I think in that way, like on a on a conscious listening level, it is for sure. 
so it did just happen to be kind of the fact that you are improving on steel guitar and some of it or or have you been listening to more country than in, in the past or yeah i think that um i probably wasn't listening to more i think i was just a little bit more interested in constructing like like actual like country songs like songs that sounded like country songs um and uh i don't think it's about listening more or less as much as just like making the conscious decision to to make it sound like that (laughs) yeah so but i'm like i'm always listening to like i mean like terry allen is a huge influence in the way his records sound is this amazing cross between like lo-fi and like traditional country production you know um Graham Parsons stuff like is like super influential to me and like his like like kind of surrealist American like troubadour thing is like really inspiring and I relate to it a lot um but the yeah it is mostly just deciding to to channel those influences on a conscious level and not Mm -hmm. just underneath so yeah oh and you said this at the at the top of the show um you said you said that you're maybe more of like a literate like a literature head than you are a music head i was curious like if like if and how much uh literature inspires the the music you make yeah i think that um and the the main thing that's like that happens with both of those things is like storytelling even if it's instrumental music um i i think that the, like storytelling and like immersive like art is like the the main like thing that connects all of the things that i like but um yeah like i'm always i i think um on a yeah like on, on a basic like approach to writing and just like writing um like song lyrics or whatever i i think more about the story that's going to be told and the the sort of literary manipulation of language and like metaphor and stuff like that like i i connect that more to like poetry that's interesting to me or fiction that's interesting to me um and like for instance i think that there's like a a sort of like mystical aspect of a lot of lyrics on this record that i didn't have before that's connected to um like there's a this go to karzuk who um won big awards last year or maybe two years ago now but she has a couple books that are like this sort of like magical realism that's like really sparse and like impactful and um made me think about like what do you gain artistically by by withholding from the audience by like not telling the audience everything and like is it your artistic right to not have to do that and is it does that actually open up more space for the listener or the reader to kind of like play in your material and sort of like make their own associations um so that's just one example um but i think that a lot of that comes like i get inspired on that level from things like in books more than songs i think Oh yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that's most of what I wanted to get to. 
Um, I, I hope I'm not keeping you from your work right no, now. No, this is great. I'll probably, I'll, yeah, I'll probably get back to it. Yeah, the break's ending, and I'll probably get back to it um, here in just a sec. But yeah, you're good. No, yeah. Where where can people listen to your music? Where can they buy it? And where can they follow you online? Yeah, um, so dylanpiles.bandcamp.com is kind of like the best spot. Um, Bandcamp's amazing. They treat artists really well, and they make it really easy to for artists to interface and sell their stuff. So you can buy tapes directly from me. Um, uh, I am on Instagram. I th- Instagram is d underscore piles. Twitter is dylan underscore piles. Um, I always get those mixed up. Um, and Facebook, I have a, a, a music page just under my name where I try to like post uh, and can keep people on top of shows and stuff. But honestly, like Instagram, Twitter, and then the Bandcamp are like ways to hear stuff, buy stuff, and then also keep on top of any like shows or stuff that's happening. So, nice. no, and I know you're you're playing. This won't be uploaded in time. You're playing tonight at the Mockingbird Lounge. But do right. you have other shows yeah. right now? So, um, the two that are kind of like on the books right now that are um, uh, announceable, I guess, uh, seven nine at the Rhino. I am gonna play, um, and then eight twenty six in Lawrence at the White Schoolhouse um, is a show that I I'm not sure on the the finalized lineup yet, so I won't say that yet. But we'll start circulating flyers and stuff for that soon. Awesome. Yeah, and people can follow at Shellcock Mag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Shellcockmusic.com is the website. Shellcockmag.bigcartel.com is the web store. Uh, the, the second issue of the magazine is out now. The third will be out soon. Look for that. And make sure to subscribe wherever you listen and share your favorite episodes. Thank you for being on the show today, Dylan. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great discussion. Appreciate you. Awesome.